Last week, we started into the minor prophet book Habakkuk, and we looked at the first conversation that Habakkuk has with Yahweh. Habakkuk complains that uh, Yahweh has failed to judge Judea. He's prophesied and prophesied till he's blue in the face that judgment's coming, yet God has not judged them yet. Well, God comes back with a word and says, it's coming, Habakkuk. Uh, be patient. The Chaldeans are rising up and they will come and they will destroy you. Well, today we pick up right where we left off, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1. Habakkuk offers a second complaint now, or lament, to Yahweh. Follow along as I read chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Habakkuk says, are, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, Yahweh, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like a fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will stand my I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In this section, Habakkuk's distress can be summed up like this. How can a righteous God who is pure and, and cannot abide any form of, of wickedness or evil use such a wicked and treacherous people as the Chaldeans in his plan? Habakkuk is struggling to understand the ways of Yahweh. Imagine that. We've I've, I've never struggled to understand what God's doing. That's not true. We all struggle. There's, there's all sorts of points in our life where we wonder, what is he doing right now? But one phrase that I have to point out is in Habakkuk's opening line. This is beautiful. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. It's that we shall not die that just jumps off the page. See, the one thing Habakkuk knows is Yahweh will not break covenant. He will never break covenant with his people. He will never abandon Israel. That's what he means when he says, we shall not die. In the end, Habakkuk does what we left off with last week. He waits, he listens, he anticipates Yahweh's words, he anticipates Yahweh's answers. He says, I'll take my stand in the watch post and, and station myself in the tower and I'll look out 
And I'll watch for what he has to say to me. And once again, in grace and mercy, Yahweh speaks to Habakkuk. Yahweh speaks to us. He responds, encouraging Habakkuk to write down what he hears. Always love that in the prophets because that's why we're reading it. It was written down. It was recorded for us. And then there is a plea that is given for patience. Notice, notice with me verses 2 and 3. We're now in Habakkuk chapter 2. It says this, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Isn't that, isn't that cool language? I love that. Make it so clear that even a guy running and reading at the same time can still read it. Notice verse 3, though. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, and it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God says to Habakkuk and to us, if my plans seem to be coming together slow, wait for it. Wait for it. That's so, so good. So very simple. My family is here right now. Uh, we have been waiting for a job opportunity for Faith. She's done all of the work. Uh, she's got the degree. Uh, she's put in applications. Uh, she's had at least one interview. She's preparing herself. But, but what are we doing in the moment? We're waiting. We're waiting for God's plans to come together. And many of you are there right now in your own particular life situations. You're waiting for God's plans to come together. So wait for it. But then comes the granddaddy of all statements in verse 4. A statement that, that rocked the first century when the Apostle Paul began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. A statement that rocked the, the 16th century world when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. A, a statement that rocked my own life Years ago, when I came to understand its truths, its relevance in my day-to-day -day life. Notice, notice verse 4. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. Now that, that is a statement in relation to the Chaldeans and their pride. Their soul is, is puffed up. They're full of pride. But notice the next line. Here's what it says. But... The righteous shall live by his faith. The next time we're in Galatians, this verse will be central to our discussion. In fact, this verse, this statement, is central to all of Christianity. And I did not come to Habakkuk because of this particular verse. Honestly, I kind of forgot it was there. 
pretty sad. But I always find it incredible how the Spirit weaves His Word together. I always find it incredible that whether it be in our lives or in this hodgepodge collection of sermons that we've put together over the course of these last few weeks, that He's weaving His Word together. Like He told Habakkuk, Back in chapter one, I'm doing a thing that, that if you understood it, when it comes together, your mind's gonna be blown. My mind's blown that here is a book. I decided, let's, let's consider Habakkuk. And we find the very same truth that will be core to what the Apostle Paul's arguing in the book of Galatians. Uh, so what's the point here, though? What does Yahweh mean in verse four? Well, the point is, as already mentioned, that the Chaldeans are filled with pride. They're driven by pride, their own pride. And that will not end well for them because the Medes and the Persians will eventually overthrow the mighty Babylon. But, he says, the righteous, the just, are not driven by pride. But what are they driven by? Faith. Faith in what? Faith in Yahweh. The just live by faith in Yahweh. The just live by faith in the promises of Yahweh. The just live by faith in that one promise that Yahweh says, I will send a Messiah. The just live by faith in the Messiah, Jesus. The just live by faith in Jesus Christ, in Him alone. Well, from here, beginning of verse five, things get pretty, pretty judgy because Yahweh pronounces a series of five woes on the Chaldeans. He's not even particularly talking to the Chaldeans at this point. He's just letting Habakkuk know what's coming for them. Uh, but let me make one comment before uh, we, we move into those woes. In verse five, in setting up those woes, notice what it says. Yahweh says this, wine is a traitor. Wine is a traitor. Now, according to scholars, um, historians, it's known that the Babylonians, and they loved their wine. Vineyards were everywhere around the, the, the Euphrates River, and they loved their wine. But in the book of Daniel, in chapter 5, we read of a story, this, this takes place possibly a hundred years after Habakkuk's prophecy. Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar has died, Belteshazzar is now ruling in Babylon and they're throwing a big party and they're all drunk. And Belteshazzar says, let's bring out the, the, the serving dishes from the temple in Jerusalem. And he begins to blaspheme the holy things of Yahweh. And while they're there reveling in their drunkenness, a hand appears and writes on the wall of the, the room, Mine, Mine, Tekel, Farsin. They try to find somebody to interpret what's being said, and finally they get Daniel, and Daniel comes, and he interprets and basically sums it up this way. The end is near. The end is near. And that very night, that very night, the Medes and the Persians, the Persian Empire moved in, overthrew the mighty Babylon. History tells how they, they plugged up the river, dammed it up, and they were able to move into the city. But one of the reasons, one of the reasons that they were able to so easily conquer the city of Babylon 
is because they were drunk. The Babylonians were drunk. Wine was a traitor to them. I, I, I love and view this as a prophetic word about some of the specifics of their downfall that will happen, that we'll read about later in Scripture in the book of Daniel. Wine betrayed them. But he moves into the woes, and woe one says this. You are judged because of your rapacious and plundering ways. And I'm not going to read all of these verses, uh, but I want to read verse 6 through 8 because they're broken up into these chunks and sections. But it says this, um, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles of him and say, and here comes the woe, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long can he do that? And he loads himself with, with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? And then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. Notice the, the poetic, beautiful language that's used to describe their judgment that's coming. That's woe one, verses six through eight. Woe two comes in verses nine through 11, and he speaks of their covetousness and their self-exaltation as the reason that judgment will come. They, they think they're safe in their high places. He uses that language, very similar to language used by Obadiah. When Obadiah describes the downfall of the Edomites who lived in the cliffs and thought they were above it all, he even says here in these verses that even the inanimate objects, the stone walls and buildings that you've built because of your, your covetous ways, they will cry out against you. The third woe comes in verses 12 through 14 because they have oppressed captive peoples. They have treated mankind unfairly using slavery. They have not treated people as image bearers of God. Woe four comes in verses 15, 16, and 17. Their, their shameful treatment of their weaker neighbors. Woe five comes in verses 18 through 20. Uh, their idolatry, and it's here that we really get to the heart of the Chaldeans' problems. They worship worthless, dead idols. There is no breath at all in it. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. And let all the earth keep silence before him. It always comes back to idolatry. You're serving a false god. So here we find a great passage. A great passage to consider for those uh, times in our lives when we begin to, to see what God is doing and we think, are you crazy? This can't be right. This can't be what you're doing. That's Habakkuk's response. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. Yahweh, holy Yahweh, was going to use the wicked, wicked Chaldeans to teach a lesson to Judea. There's been some serious online debate in recent weeks about whether God is the author of the coronavirus. Uh, the debate centers around 
this question. Would a loving God, would a loving God use a disease, a disease that kills people for our good and for his glory? And for some, the idea of that, a loving God, which for many, a loving God is the, the primary attribute of our God, that's a bridge too far. They cannot fathom their loving God doing such a thing. But we always have to ask the question, what does Scripture teach? We don't get to, to make up the character of our God. He reveals His character to us in the pages of His Word. We learn there. Right here in Habakkuk, He seems to do the unfathomable. At least it's unfathomable to Habakkuk. It's clear to me, just as it was clear to, to Paul, to Peter, to James, even, even to Jesus, that our God often does things that seem crazy to us. Maybe even things that seem out of character for him. But remember, we don't define the character of God. He does. He reveals his character to us in those pages of Scripture. And just like Habakkuk, we can question, we can lament, but just like Habakkuk, we need to heed Yahweh's command. Wait for it. Because he's doing something. Wait for it, because he's always doing something. So the question is, what work is he doing right now? Do you know? Do you see it? If not, are you willing to wait for it? In the end, the question is this. Will you live by faith? Because the just live by faith. Will you trust the hand of Yahweh? Will you trust the covenant that he's made with us? When the waves seem overwhelming and trust is hard, and, and some of you are there right now, I implore you to, to go to the cross, go to the empty tomb, and remember that you can trust this God. You can trust your Savior. Father, we come before you today ignorant. And that's okay. We're, we're limited in our ability to understand what, what you're doing around us. What you're doing in our lives. But God, I do pray that we would have the faith to wait for it. To wait and see the work that you're doing. You have good, good plans for us. As individuals, as a church. And we may not be able to comprehend and understand why you do what you do. But God, we know enough to know that we can trust you and everything you do. Whether we view it as good, bad, ugly, we know that you do it. Because you love us. Help us to trust you in that. 
we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Again this week, I want to encourage you to take some time to dig into the text. Discuss the rich and beautiful language that uh, we find in these chapters. Habakkuk's description of Yahweh is just incredible. Uh, Yahweh's uh, words in relation to the judgment and the woes is, again, just beautiful. Uh, this week, uh, I want to challenge you to work on putting uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3 to memory. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Wait for it. It will surely come, and it will not delay. Next week, we're going to consider the, the content of chapter 3. That is Habakkuk's prayer, where he remembers the faithful character of Yahweh, ultimately planting his faith in the character of Yahweh, uh, one of the most incredible passages uh, that you will find in all of Scripture is at the end of chapter 3. Uh, later today, again, as in last week, you're going to receive another invitation uh, from one of our men to join in uh, one of our Zoom meetings uh, so that you can, with the rest of your church family, further discuss and consider uh, the truths that we've laid out uh, today. And so, again, I encourage you, implore you, uh, connect. Make the effort to connect this week. And then again, later this week, Thursday or Friday, uh, you're going to see another discussion between me and my good friend Nathan uh, Beal. Uh, and I'm looking forward to your, um, uh, just, just the wisdom you're going to hear from him in relation to what it is to watch and wait. And uh, just some thoughts on what, what God is doing right now. What are some of the things he may be doing through this particular pandemic? Uh, but I uh, uh, met of you again, as, as always, I love you. I am praying for you. I've prayed for you today. I'm praying for you. Uh, even now as you're watching this, whether it's Saturday night or Sunday morning, know that uh, you're in my prayers, and I'm praying that his word would have good effect uh, in our lives uh, as we move through the rest of this week. So God bless you, and enjoy your day in Christ today.